Welcome, welcome, welcome to one of the last Who Says No's that will ever be recorded in San Diego. Uh, we have one tonight. I'm doing one tomorrow as well, and that'll be it. It won't change your experience listening at all. I don't know why I feel the need to explain this, but it's sentimental to me. So pretty soon you'll be hearing this recorded from the East Coast, City TBD, but that's a whole other story. Um, joining me as always to talk about I was like, you know what, Yossi, you don't join me as always, but you join me frequently enough that my instinct is to say joining me as always. So Yossi Goslin joining me for, I think, what, the eighth time now? Yeah, I've lost count, which is good. Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, I, I, I would like, before we start, I'd like to yeah. apologize because uh, it was recently revealed that I was not telling you that I was charging for my podcast experience. Uh, yeah, I have quite a bill, don't I? Yeah, and I, I realized that was a little unethical, <laughs> but, but but before we started this podcast, I, I, get, I gave you my rate of 300 an hour, and you accepted, so here we are. Yes, of course. The, the bills, <laughs> checks in the mail, don't you worry. Um, Yossi, the reason you're here today is earlier this year in March, we get this report from Jabari Young of CNBC saying that on the NBA's next television deal, which is going to kick in in 2025, the league wants three times as much as it's currently getting. That would take them from a $24 billion deal to roughly a $75 billion deal. And then on Sunday, we get this report that the NBA expects the cap to rise all the way up to, I believe, $171 million was the number in 2025. It was a great report from Forbes. I can't remember the writer, Morton Jensen, I think. Um, so I wanted to talk to you today, A, about why that's happening, and B, what is going to come of it in the next few years, and then eventually when we get to 2025. So the first question, we've kind of pondered this off air, and I don't need it, like, we don't have to come up with a real answer yet, but something that I'm really wondering now is, why is the NBA worth $75 billion as a television property? And, like, I don't want to be one of these NBA alarmists that talks about, oh, the ratings are falling, oh, like, they got woke and they're going broke. Like, that's nonsense. I'm not into that. But I will say, they're having all these issues in China, which is the world's biggest growth market. That's something that I would think would have been what made them really attractive to TV networks before. Now, not so much. The ratings have been up and down, let's say. Like, they certainly haven't grown in the same way that we maybe would have hoped. The stock, it's not as simple as the NFL TV deals, right? Where, like, you know, CBS gets all of the um, AFC games, Fox gets all the NFC games. The national TV deal, you get a lot of premium games, but, like, the stock isn't that different from, say, you know, most other sports, which is part of what the appeal of the NBA is. Maybe somebody could negotiate, we don't just want the national rights, we want the rights to all games. I don't know. But the question we're sort of pondering here is like, $75 billion is a lot of money, and I'm sort of confused. What do you think, do you have any theories on what this might be? Do you think it might just come down to the fact that there are so many streamers that all want content? Do you think they have some other way of monetizing the game that we're not thinking of? Because right now, I feel like three or four years ago, the NBA looked like much more of a growth sport than it is today. I do think that there's a lot of potential for growth. I just don't know if it's $75 billion. So I'll just open the floor. Do you have anything you want to say on this front? I don't think I'm that qualified to answer this because I don't even know what makes the NBA worth, what is it, $25 billion? $25 billion now. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know what makes it worth that much. And I remember when it became $25 billion, I, I remember thinking like, wow, that's a lot of money. Where's all that coming from? And now everything, the valuations on everything is going up like crazy. And so um, to me, maybe it feels like there's, as technology is improving, 
they're finding other ways to uh, monetize this. I don't know exactly how. Um, I, I just just because I haven't really done much research into it, but uh, yeah, seventy-five billion seems pretty. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's a that's a lot higher. Like I, if you told me that the NBA was going to renegotiate their TV deal, I would think maybe at most they double it. Uh, seventy-five billion seems a lot. And, I, and to your points, uh, yeah, ratings might be down, and there's the more games that there are in a sport the less meaningful the games actually are so yeah i don't so i don't understand how all these nationally televised games are going to be worth 75 billion over i don't know 10 years so i don't know yeah. uh, i don't understand it and but i'm sure it's it, it, it it'll all work out and everyone will make a lot of money yeah, when I first heard the $25 billion figure, what was it, in 2014 when they signed that deal, I think, my reaction was they're building a lot of growth into this number, and maybe they've gotten it, maybe they haven't. Like, we haven't really heard any reports of, like, network partner partners being unhappy with what they paid for, but that at the time seemed really ambitious, and now they're trying to triple it. Like, that certainly is not what I expected, Um I will say, though, where I think there is some real room for growth is in the league pass package. I don't know why that's something that the NBA has to host itself, right? Like, wouldn't league pass be something that Amazon or Apple would be really into? That's sort of my thought. Maybe that's where some of this value is coming from. But the truth is, I don't have a good answer. And I don't know that we're ever going to really get one. The NBA is pretty tight-lipped about where its money comes from. But ultimately, the, the why of this is kind of immaterial. Ultimately, what we can say for sure is that every rights deal has progressively gotten bigger. The NFL just signed a huge, I think it was $100 billion, $110 maybe, I can't remember the exact price. And the NBA is going to come fairly close to that. And what we actually want to talk about today is what this is going to do to the cap. And the Forbes report indicated that the cap could jump up to $171 million in 2025. That would be a 52% jump from where it is right now at $112 million. So, Yossi, I'll just say, when you saw that number, was that what you were projecting in your head? Like, was that what you were expecting? Has this changed anything for you? So, the only time I caught wind of something in this ballpark was when Mike Scotto had Larry Kuhn on to talk about the next uh, CBA negotiation. Uh, not CBA, the next TV deal. That was this one that's coming up in 2025. and. I think he said something that like the the salary cap was could uh, go up somewhere up in the ballpark of like 60 mil. Um, I don't know if he meant in the first year of the TV deal or over the uh, the term of the next TV deal, but he, I, I remember he, something around 60 mil. So um, not shocked that. We're hearing 170 mil, but um, that it is a lot, uh, and it makes me wonder how this, how this, you know, how they could, uh, how there's that much value in the NBA. But the, I guess the one thing that we we need to find out is will there be smoothing? Because I believe in the article there was a mention that there's optimism that there's going to be smoothing or even like it's beyond optimism that they think it'll be insured. But I would, if I'm a player, I would need a pretty good reason to want to do that. Because if you look at in 2016, 
it worked it, five years later it's worked out pretty well for the players for the most part because you had a cap spike in 2016 another one in 2017 and then the cap kind of stayed flat in 2018 and then there was a big another big cap boom 2019 so if you're a free agent in all those years except 2018 you made a lot of money um so I think overall worked out for the players. So if you want to do cap smoothing, we're get, you know the players are going to need a good reason because based on uh, what uh, what the projections are without a cap spike, I believe what is that like a twenty million salary cap increase at once? Uh, I don't think I haven't seen projections for twenty three or twenty four. I know next year. We're supposed to go up to 119, and then I believe after that it's 125. So at a right. bare minimum, it's like 45 from there, and then we have a couple extra years. The 2016 spike was 32%. It was 70 million up to 94 million. I would imagine in the end, the 2024 to 2025 spike, if we did get a spike, would be something like that. Yeah. But I want to broadly explain what cap smoothing is, and the truth is we can't get too specific because it could take a number of different forms and we could talk about what those are. But the broad idea of cap smoothing is this. When a new TV deal kicks in, it drastically changes the basketball-related income that the league generates in a given year. Generally speaking, the salary cap is around 45% of that BRI minus player benefits, and I believe there are a couple of other adjustments, but I can't remember what exactly they are. Players as a whole are obligated to receive between 49 and 51% of BRI. All this does, they are getting that same percentage. It's just that the BRI pie is going up all at once. So the cap is going up all at once as well. That's what, that's what the cap spike is. Cap smoothing is an alternative in which players still receive that same 49 to 51% of BRI. They just don't get it through an immediate cap spike. There are a number right. of different ways this could come. They could pre-agree to a dip to a lower salary cap over a certain number of years and then give the players that money back some other way. They could say, hey, you know, this year, instead of getting 49%, the players only got 46%. We'll give every player in the league a bonus to make up that 3%. There are a number of different ways you could go about this. But essentially, what cap smoothing is, is the idea of we're not going to let the cap jump by this much at once. Because 2016, for the players, it mostly worked out. We can talk about the players who really didn't benefit from that. But for the players, it mostly worked out. For the teams, it was a disaster, right? Like, A, we have Kevin Durant going to Golden State, which I think everybody would agree was bad for basketball. And B, we had Timofey Mozgov getting 60-some-odd million and Ian Mahinmi getting 64 million, Joe Kinoa getting 72 million, Evan Turner getting 70 million. Mike Conley was the highest-paid player in NBA history for a little while. Like, that's bonkers. We shouldn't be having that. But that's what the cap spike did, and that's what they're trying to prevent this time around. So let me ask you this, just hypothetically. If there was a system of smoothing in place that ensured players were still getting the same 49 50 51%, what, what would they really have against smoothing? Like, what's their reason not for taking it? Uh... I just I think in the end they would need a good reason. It would have to be some kind of uh, concession by by the owners to agree to that. Just just because it's a huge thing that the league wants and the players have all the power with that. So we we can get to we can have a debate what those things might be. But I, so you talked about Kevin Durant. 
him signing with the Warriors. Like, if there's no cap smoothing, there's a possibility that the Bucks could like outright sign Luca and Zion, something crazy like that. Like, it's it's in the cards of some like team that's way over the tax right now will be able to just do something like that. And then you talk about, but the other thing you, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. You talk about teams making these horrible signings. I'm a little optimistic that they're not going to repeat that as much. I because I think what happened in 2016, like that was a, it was so unprecedented, and I get the feeling that there's going to be a lot less of that. I'm sure there still will be Mozgov's and like others' contracts going on like that, but probably not. I, I feel like a lot of teams have learned from there, and a lot of front offices have evolved to not make the to not give those type of contracts as well. But let me ask you, like, one thing I would imagine the players would demand in exchange for cap moving, maybe uh, the elimination of restricted free agency. What do you think? Man, I, I don't think that... I think restricted free agency ultimately affects too few players and is too important to the teams for them to give that up, right? Like, right. it's sort of like the franchise tag in the NFL, right? Like, the reason the franchise tag exists, the superstars hate the franchise tag. But fundamentally, right. in the NFL at a given time, 30 or 40, maybe 50 players, like members of the union, are at risk of getting franchise tag. And the union has 2,000 members. So, of course, the 2,000-member union is going to let the NFL do this thing to the top players because it's not going to affect most of them. I think restricted free agency falls into the same bucket, right? Like, you know, Zion might really want to eliminate restricted free agency. I'm sure he'd love to have the opportunity to be an unrestricted free agent earlier in his career. But the 30 guys making the minimum on his like on his team and other teams, like they're not going to be so eager to make that concession. I yep. think that there was going to be a concession. It would probably have to be something a little more broad that doesn't like that owners aren't quite so attached to. But I think you're on the right path. Something I've wondered about. This is something the players' union. I don't. How do you think the players' union feels about the one and done rule? Like, do you think that's a chip that could be played here? I don't. I think that's something also that owners care about more because back then it was the other way around, and now I I remember listening to something where they're saying no. Now the owners want to flip it. The players need something back. I don't know how uh, accurate that is, but I'm not. I don't think that's something that's going to thread the needle for the players. And it's tough. Like, what are you going to do to to convince players not to take so much to not to take that much more money up front? And imagine if like if you look at the landscape of the league right now with every player signing extensions, a lot of them are are set to end in like 2025 and 2026. So a lot of players are preparing for this. A lot of players are lining up their deals in preparation for this. So what if the majority of the NBA is a, is in free agency in those years? You know, the players are getting ready for this and they're ready to get paid. They're going to be even less incentivized to to scale back their money up front. You know, actually, I think that's a good pivot point because I do want to talk about the rash of extensions. The NBA has done a lot to incentivize extensions over the past several years. The most notable thing was in the 2017 CBA. They built the maximum raise. They pushed it up from 7.5 percent the first year of the deal to 20%. And what we've seen a lot this offseason is, you know, these guys that are not quite max guys, but just a level below, you know, like Julius Randle got the extension, Clint Capella got the extension, 
Uh, Aaron Gordon got the extension. Terry Rozier got the extension. I was wondering what exactly was motivating that. And then this comes out, and it's like, oh, that makes sense. They're mm-hmm. all trying to align their free agencies with 2025. So you're right. Like, maybe they wouldn't be as eager to get back out there. But the thing is, with four years from now, like, do you think in 2023 guys are going to intentionally sign short-term deals? Guys did that before. They did it for 2016. Like, didn't Paul Millsap do that, I believe? Uh, no, not Paul Millsap, but uh, there was, like, in around, I think around 2016, 2017, 2018, it was, like, one-year deals. Uh, even 2019, everyone just wanted to sign a one-year deal because a lot of players just signed one- or two-year deals because the cap kept just kept going up and up and up, and now it's not going up like that. It's going up a little bit, but... You can make as you can make just as much on a with your maximum extension on most cases than re-signing with that with your same team later. So might as well just lock up the money now. That's all that's happening. So right, it's, it has to be a situation like Zach Levine, where his original salary is so right. low that a twenty yeah, he's like the only exception right now. Yeah, he's, right. Everybody yeah. else is just signing because, like, let's say I don't know, you're Terry Rozier. You're getting $97 million right now. What are you going to get as a free agent? Like, at best, let's say you get $10 million more than that, which I don't think he would. No, you take the security right now. It's, it, it makes total sense. Yeah. So, yeah, you and I both know that the NBA is going to be pretty slow with player movement. The biggest moves will come via trades. Uh, but 2025 will probably be the next big free agency year. And let's see, maybe you could keep up with the epic 2019 we had well that was the other question i was going to ask right because over the last few years i think there are a number of reasons why this has been the case but star movement has kind of shifted from before it was a free agency thing right like where lebron wasn't even like willing to acknowledge that he would be a free agent until he actually hit free agent what they weren't talking about trades you know that it was just purely i will deal with this when my contract expires whereas now it's like anthony davis a year and a half out requests a trade Ben Simmons, four years left on his deal, requests a trade. You know, you go down the line, guys are moving more towards trades. They're trying to get out as soon as they want out, as opposed to waiting for their contracts to expire. Do we think this is going to change in 2025, right? Like, do we think more and more guys are going to say, eh, I'll wait the extra year, and then for agency, I'll give myself the option? That, or they're going to try to push their, to get traded to the place they want to sign, and to, just so they could re-sign with those bird rights, make a little more. Otherwise, yeah, we're going to see probably some – anyways, we are due for some big player movement just because we're going to start seeing guys from the 2016 through 2018-ish draft start to have – start to enter unrestricted free agency, and they'll have their moments to uh, choose their destinies. Uh, maybe, like, guys like uh, – from, let's see, 2017, maybe guys like Donovan Mitchell um, – Ben Simmons, um, no, he's not. He's 2016. But just players from those drafts, they're gonna have their. Anyways, they're gonna. A lot of them are gonna want to choose where they want to go. So that combined with the money aspect, it's just gonna be a pretty extremely wild off season. Something I'm wondering about is how patient some of these teams that have the slightly younger guys, like the teams with Luca, with Zion with guys kind of in that age range that are like still on their rookie deals or about to sign the rookie extensions, are they going to be willing to say like, 
we'll make some short-term sacrifices and then we'll align it so that all of our contracts come off in 2025. And then it's like, boom, Luca plus two other maxes or something like that's something that I think is really appealing, but like how patient are guys like that willing to be? Like, I don't think Zion wants to wait four more years. Well, I don't know that, that I, I would just expect players to still take the money and deal with their destination later. Like, Sign, sign your contract now. If you try hard enough, good chance you'll get a trade later. Um, so I think players are going to be more patient, especially when money is involved. They're not going to mess with that in the meantime. Well, speaking of money for guys like that, I know you have some Luca numbers you want to throw out at me, so I'll just give you the floor. Okay, so when I first heard about the salary cap projections, the first thought I had is, wow, Luca is going to be make so much money by the time his career is over. So I just I basically I made a projection spelling out what his career earnings could look like through year 13. So he's got his rookie deal, which he's about to finish. Uh, it's a $32.5 million deal. Now he signed a five-year, $200 million deal. And it's got a player option after year five. So uh, that means he can opt out in 2026, one year after this uh, supposed salary cap spike. So in 2025, if the salary cap is supposed to go up to 171, um, then I believe the first year would be 35, uh, the 35% max, assuming Luca. Uh, qualifies for the super but she's gonna if he stays healthy i would be i'm sure i would look i would wonder i would love to see if there's odds against like him not getting it somehow like if now if he could bet on it like i doubt there is but that'd be a one hell of a long-term bet not that i would bet on it i think he's for sure i don't think you could find anyone to take that bet no no one will but i wonder like what do you think the odds would be that he doesn't qualify for it five years from now I think just you have to build in a certain injury thing where, like, we all thought Derrick Rose would have been there, and then he got hurt, and he wasn't, right? Like, you have to build in some injury expectation, but, like, I wouldn't take that bet at less than, like, seven or eight to one. Right. He's okay, already but, that Like, he doesn't even have to improve. He just to stay yeah, no, he's gonna, yeah, so he's going to get it. I just, I just wanted to wonder, like, it, we all, we're in agreement that it's very unlikely as of now that he doesn't It would have to be. Like multiple torn ACLs or like multiple Achilles. It's not even just one. Yeah. Like Durant. Yeah, got no, one ACL, one one torn Achilles. I think he'd still qualify. A hundred percent. Now, so back to the subject. Now, um, so uh, they were also saying that the salary cap is expected to increase by twelve and a half to fifteen mil annually after that. So Luca would miss the twenty twenty five salary cap jump because he would still be under contract, but. For 2026-27, he's got a $47 million player option. Well, he'll opt out because if the cap jumps up to 171 mil in 2025, and let's say it goes up 12.5 mil for 2026, then the first year salary of that would be 64 mil. So if you account, then do a five-year deal with 8% raises, he's going to be making 64 mil, 69 mil, 74 and a half, 79 and a half, then uh, basically 85 mil at 2031. So that'd be a five-year deal at 372 and a half. So that combined with the other two contracts, he would be, he would have earned 565 mil. 
And now let's say the salary cap uh, went up 15 mil instead in 2026, which is not much. Uh, so that's another two and a half mil. So he would have earned another five mil on top of that, like 570 mil. So Josie, can you tell me how much Michael Jordan earned in his career? Uh, probably maybe 100 mil, maybe. 90 million. That's what yeah. Luca would earn in one year. <laughs> Yeah, Luke, so and that's his fourth. That's only his third contract. Like Steph is on his fourth contract now, and that's worth two hundred million. And Luca's third contract is supposedly worth three hundred seventy mil. So I imagine that his fourth contract could be worth like maybe five hundred mil. Who knows what that's going to be in twenty thirty? But like the way I, it feels like Luca could earn one billion in c- career earnings alone. Like, I would, I would be, at this point, I'm expecting him and Dirk to team up and buy the Mavs for Mark Cuban. Like, that's how much money these guys are making. So, here's the other thing that, that all of this makes me think. Part of what let the Warriors sign Kevin Durant in 2017 was that Stephen Curry was critically underpaid because he signed that deal when he had the ankle injuries, right? So, I think it was like four years, 48, and the yeah. last year happened to be 2016 when they signed Durant. Well, Luca just signed this rookie extension in a pre-spike NBA with a cap that was pushed down by COVID. So the last year of that deal is, like, the current deal is what, like 44, 45? Yeah. If the like cap that. is 171 million, if you have Luca at 45 and just get rid of everybody else, you'd have 125 million left to play with. <laughs> like, you could have Luca Doncic at 125 million in space in 2025. And yeah, that's that is the crazy part because, like I, I said, what if Luca and Giannis and Zion something crazy like that, like they team up like that? Listen, like hopefully Dallas gets their act together internally five years from now that Luca will still be on board because if yeah, they're gonna they could get one or two guys to join him in free agency, so they gotta prepare for that. They got to prepare for the, the this big cap spike that's to happen because they could definitely get somebody. So I'm looking at the 2025 free agents and projecting that far out is just it's it's ludicrous. Like right, like, so it's everybody. Well, yeah, it's basically like technically Giannis has a player option at that point. I don't think he's going to opt out. I think once he won the title, it became pretty clear that he's going to spend his entire career in Milwaukee. But you know, you go down to somebody a bit younger like Ben Simmons will be available. Um, Donovan Mitchell at that point has his player option. Jason mm-hmm. Tatum has his player option. Like, if you are the team that already has the incumbent superstar under contract at that point, and the only two teams who are in that situation right now, maybe three if you want to count Oklahoma City with Shea Gildas Alexander, the only two teams that are really in that position right now are Dallas with Luka and Atlanta with Trey, with Trey Young. They're the only two teams that are pretty much assured to have stars in their prime under a, at the time, what will be below market value contract in the summer of 2025, we got to yep. start looking at Dallas and Atlanta as like possible, like real super teams at that point. Yeah. And well, Atlanta, we'll see how much space they have. Because if they, now this big cap spike kind of makes it feel like they can really keep all their guys. Like it might be expensive right now, but. If they give, maybe they could give like they could lock down Reddish and Hunter and Herder to con- deals beyond the cap spike, and it will look like like a healthy cap sheet by then. And maybe well, they could still have room for another guy on top of that. Well, 
even if they do have to pay everybody, and even if some of those contracts don't look great, on a $171 million cap, like, how easy would it be to dump a bad contract, right? Like, if you're Atlanta, and you're in a position where, like, all you have to do is, I don't know, like, trade Cam Reddish and a $25 million salary to create the space to sign Jason Tatum, then you just say, fine, there are 10 teams with the cap space to absorb him. We'll give mm-hmm. three first-round picks to make that space, right? Like, you get at $171 million, like, this opens up a lot for a lot of teams, but I think the real beneficiaries here are going to be the teams that have in their prime superstars at that moment. And then, like, if you want to project a little bit more, right, like Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, they'll be in the first year of their rookie extension at that point, right? So, like, they'll be making a lot of money, but probably not that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just, this is uh, just all the names you threw out, like Tatum, Mitchell, Simmons. I'm sure Ingram. Like, chances are, fifty percent of those guys are going to move teams, just just because the nature of the statistically NBA. Statistically speaking, yeah, yeah, which is crazy because there's there's going to be, and I think you said Dallas and Atlanta. Honestly, yeah, I think those teams are going to have the edge to to get to steal one of those stars because yeah, Trey and. Luca will still be under contract through that salary cap spike. So, uh, def- as long as I mean Atlanta, you can. I'm. I think they got a. They run a really tight ship, and I think Trey will be happy till the very end. And hopefully Dallas can get their stuff together because if yeah, they'll get someone for sure. I mean, it's it's weird to be talking about this four years in advance, right? Because like, I don't think prior to December of 2014, when the last TV deal was signed did we start to really grasp what was going to happen? But I think something that's really different this time around is that we have the 2016 experience, right? Like everybody knows what the stakes are. Everybody knows what could happen if we don't smooth the cap. So I wonder if that's something that's really going to drastically change this, right? Like I, I do, I don't, I, we either talked about this off air or we talked about it on air already, but I'll just throw it out again. The current CBA expires after 2024, that is before this new TV deal is going to kick in. Yep. That gives the owners a lot more latitude to kind of force and say, like, hey, like, we will lock you out if you don't agree to smoothing, right? Like, it doesn't even have to cost you money. We can find some way to give you all of the money that you're owed, just not through the cap. So I think that is going to be one of the most fascinating things here. Like, I don't know if this is enough to cause a lockout, but it certainly isn't going to help. I would be a little surprised if the lockout happened just because there's so there's, much money on the line. Yeah, and and I remember in 2011 when when they said that in 2017 there was gonna the CBA was gonna expire. I'm like, okay, we're just gonna have another lockout again. But this the salary cap spike really prevented that. There, so and now we're gonna get an even bigger one. Um, I I think the NBA will withstand another KD situation instead of passing up this money. Just, uh, But even more realistically, I think they'll figure something out. I, I don't know. Like, like I said, I don't know what the players would require to agree to cap smoothing, but if the league sources are saying that it's definitely something that's realistic and that could be agreed upon, then okay, that then... That'd be great. Uh, I'd love to see what the conditions are. Maybe we'll never find out, but uh, I'm just I'm I'm just a little skeptical until we see it. I mean, I think the last thing we can talk about here is like 
I, I think player movement and player empowerment has gotten to this level over the past several years, even after the 2017 CBA that like, I wonder if this is going to be the CBA where owners start to draw a line in the sand and say like, Hey, this is the moment where like maybe cap smoothing isn't what causes a lockout, but like, this is the, where we're drawing a line in the sand and saying like, we have to come up with some way to incentivize players to stay in small markets. We have to come up with some way to prevent like the Anthony Davis situation or the Kawhi Paul George situation, which that's the one that I really look at and get uncomfortable thinking about, right? Like where Paul George was a member of the Thunder and Kawhi basically just pulled him off of that team. I think that is kind of the real sort of Damocles hanging over that CBA. I wonder if like, especially if things get pushed even further over the next few years, right? Like if Zion leaves New Orleans, if he does the qualifying offer thing and becomes a free agent after year five, that feels like DEFCON one of the player empowerment era where like the owners start to say like, okay, we've got to figure some way out, some way to rein this in. I personally think like the balance has never been right. Like the owners were in way too much control earlier in the NBA's history. And now I wonder if we swung a bit too far in the other direction. I think that is quietly going to be the major issue of the 2024 CBA. Look, I mean, as long as the money is as high, the players have more power. And I, it feels like player empowerment is just, it's not something the CBA at all can control or even have any sort of say in it. You almost have to separate the CBA and player empowerment. They're like their own separate entities. Um, you know, they're not. You can't, mon- you can't monitor player communications. You can't control that part. Of it. Like the players are their own business, basically. Um, so, I don't know what you can do about this. Truly, I don't have a good answer either. I mean, it's not like the players would. I, I just feel like there is no answer. Right. Like this is it. Right. Then. The players, are, I mean, the teams are just going to have to work with the players. Like that's especially, what it is. especially after a cap spike, right? Because like we have talked about, oh, like what if the original team could offer forty percent instead of thirty-five percent? Like what if we just threw more money at them, which is what the supermax was supposed to do? Well, on a hundred and seventy-one million dollar cap, when like you can go to another team and get three hundred million, is the difference between three hundred million and four hundred million that much? Like I don't know. I don't think so. Um, there isn't a lot of there isn't a good answer to this, and there isn't a good answer to a lot of these things, right? We're just gonna have to let this play out over the next several years. But like, man, it like it really does feel like anything is on the table right at this moment. Uh, yeah, but again, uh, it just feels like I think we're gonna it's just gonna be like the status quo. Whatever, uh, in the end, the money's gonna dictate everything, and. I I don't think there's going to be that much changes, especially with like uh, like less player movement. In the end, they're going to do whatever's you know most financially whatever makes sense the most for them. I think that's the right place to close, Yossi. For once, I'm not going to keep you for two hours. <laughs> um, that'll do it for us here today, Yossi. Where can people find your work? Uh, you could find my work on hoopshype.com. And you can find a lot of cool salary cap tweets on Twitter at Yossi Goslin. Um, and then you, we have my podcast with Michael Scotto every Wednesday morning. Uh, we'll be doing Q&As until things start to get back into speed as far as a new cycle. 
Um, so yeah, that's where you can catch me. Does your per podcast rate go up as the cap goes up? Like, is it based on a percentage? <laughs> you know what? I, I think I'm gonna. I think I know what I'm gonna do in my next. Go- I'm kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna say you're probably eligible for a supermax at this point, but. For now, we're going to end this podcast early because I'm paying you by the minute, and I'm just not—I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not wealthy enough to do that. The minimum uh-huh. contract in in 2025, if it goes to 171, will be like four mil, which is like just below the tax pyramid level. I I, I wonder I, how that. How much I'll, I'll Russell make I wonder how how many minimum contracts there will be because I feel like that could go up if the top players get more money. I. Uh, this was the last point I just remembered is that I feel like the CBA is going to have to be restructured a little bit because I I get the feeling that as the top players make more and more and more money, there might be less of a middle class. And the minimum is not bad. Four mil, you know, uh, a lot of players, that's like just above the room at level now. So I wonder if there's going to be some kind of restructuring as far as exceptions, um, maybe... Like, what if the instead of a 35% cap, it was like 30? I don't know. Just throwing things out there. I think there's going to be some restructuring of some sort to accommodate this huge uh, incoming spike. Well, I'd also just say that if the minimum is $4 million, then, like, aren't more guys going to be willing to take the minimum, right? Like, if you exactly. can get $4 million from some team, but, like, or you get $4 million from a contender, are you really willing to take $7 million from, like, a slightly worse team, like a worse team. I, I don't know that I would like this feels like something that would really help big markets and really help contenders, but that's a podcast for another day. Yeah. You'll see, this has been a pleasure. You'll be back soon enough. I don't think we're going to get quite to the, what was it? Five off season episodes, 10, I don't know, whatever figure we were, because huh. I'm moving in the next few weeks. I don't think I'm going to have time to record podcasts, but when yeah. I am settled, you will be back. Otherwise keep listening. We'll have another episode. I believe tomorrow, if not the day after, But that'll do it for us here today. Go like, go subscribe, and thank you for listening. We'll be back.